for slides. Uh, so you know that we're still uh, supporting, helping out the ministry in Lebanon, and we got an update from them uh, just a few days ago. Um, while there's been a lot of uh, information about the earthquake that hit Turkey, what's not being told a lot is that it also hit part of Syria. And so the group that we work with in Lebanon, uh, they have family that's ministering, that loves Jesus. We got to meet them while we were there. And so they live and minister in Syria. And, and so there is a huge need there. Um, so they're trying to do all kinds of, you know, raising uh, for boots and blankets and jackets and all this stuff. And it's not really practical for us to do like a boot drive or jacket drive because then we have to ship it all there. So if the Lord would move on you guys and you want to donate uh, to the, the fund there to help the Syrian earthquake victims, uh, you can uh, just either write a check or somehow leave a note, get a hold of Gloria and uh, say this is for the earthquake uh, victims in Syria. We'll make sure that goes to the right place. And we're also going to be sending a gift to help them out as well. So anyhow, just want to update you guys on that. And I'll keep you posted as we find out more. Um, the other thing, a uh, very different topic, uh, is that it's really interesting. And we talk about it a lot on Sundays, the, the contrast of what's going on in the world and how polarized things are right now. And it's, it's interesting that in just the last few weeks, it seems like we've had this, I don't know, a lot on the, the very kind of dark side of things. There was like the Grammys and all that nonsense that went on there, and there was a Super Bowl party or the Super Bowl halftime show and all this stuff, and you're like, that was pretty dark. On the other side of that, the movie Jesus Revolution just came out, and it is awesome. We went and saw it last night, and it, first of all, it's awesome because these are people we know. I mean, these are people that we've known over the years and all the stories, and Chuck Smith and, and his wife Kay and... and how the Lord used them. Uh, but even beyond that, here's a movie that's in a ton of theaters, not just an occasional one here and there. It's all over the place. And it preaches the gospel clearly. And it's not forced. It's not weird. It isn't you know, overly dramatic. It's just honest, and, and, uh, which is great because that was Chuck's whole thing of preaching the gospel, just in such a simple way. And uh, so anyhow, I encourage you guys to go see Jesus Revolution. It does not uh, over-glamorize the beginnings of the, the Calvary movement. It's very honest. It's, it shows the good, and it shows the bad, and it shows how people really are. And it was funny because knowing all the stories, on one side, I'm like, oh man, I know people that got baptized right there in Pirate's Cove. And at one point, <laughs> there's, you see all, everyone getting baptized. And then it shows this group of kids up on the rocks who are like flipping everybody off and making fun of the people getting baptized. And I'm like, and I know those guys too. <laughs> they got saved later on. <laughs> so yeah, great, great movie. All right, we are in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 today. And we started it last week uh, looking at the temptation of Jesus. And, and as, we, as I mentioned last week, it's important we understand that the temptation Jesus faced, two things that are important. First of all, it was real temptation. This wasn't Jesus pretending to be tempted. It wasn't Jesus trying to act like he understood what temptation was or putting on a show. This was real temptation. The things that he's tempted or was tempted by is, is far more than what we take in on the surface. Because, you know, of course, he fasted for 40 days and then the devil says, hey, turn that stone into bread. And, and you think the temptation is, he's hungry, there's bread. It's a lot bigger than that. 
it's, it's actually all three of the temptations that Jesus is hit with is the devil bringing God the Father's character into question. If God's so good, if God loves you so much, how could he deny you the basic things like bread? Why would he ask you to go to the cross when I can just give you all the kingdoms of the world? Every single one of them was bringing God's character into question. And each time Jesus fought that battle with Scripture, it is written. Again, Jesus faced those things for us on our behalf, that he could show how to fight the battle. He doesn't use his power as God to do it. He used the same thing that's available to us, Scripture. And he stood on it. And again, he he does this that we might relate with him and understand that he's faced far more than we ever have. He knows what real temptation is. And on the second half of the chapter, we see Jesus come out of that valley of temptation, that valley of trial, and into the ministry. And this is the early, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So as he begins here, this is even as Luke records it, before he starts calling the disciples. These are the things that he's accomplishing. And this sets the tone of not only who he is, but what his ministry is about. And uh, we'll see that he instantly begins to frustrate the religious leaders (laughs) and brings joy to the common people. So let's pray, and we will get into the rest of chapter 4. God, we thank you so much uh, just for the work that you are doing in us individually and the work that you're doing in this church We pray that today you continue that work. As we study your word, you would teach us. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign. Lead us, apply these things to our lives, and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to be starting in verse 16 of chapter 4. So it came to pass, excuse me. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Verse 16 says, And so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so all bore witness to him and marveled at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? A couple little things here that stand out right away is that, first of all, it says, as his custom was, that he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And I... I think that's a small thing, and it'd be easy for us to go right past that, but we've all known, and we've probably at one time or another all been the person that goes, you know what? 
I don't think I need church. I don't know if I need to gather with God's people. And if there was anybody that didn't need to go to church, it was Jesus. Yet as his custom was, he was in the synagogue. He was among God's people on the day when they gathered. And, and so for us, it's good because, again, anyone or any time that we've been in that situation, it's always the same. We've been hurt. We've had somebody mistreat us. And we're like, you know what? People are just too hard. <laughs> and, we, and they are, right? We know. I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from that. The Bible never talks about how easy it is to love people. It just says, love people. It never says it's easy to gather together as a family. But it does say, do not forsake the gathering together, right? And so it's good for us. Even though it's hard and even though it's difficult, it needs to be just like Jesus, the custom that we gather together. And it is. And, you know, I love the fact that we, we, we're able to come here. But I just think it's also good for us to know that when those times arise again, because they will, and we're like, I don't know if I need that group of people. But you do need God's people. And we need to gather together. Again, Jesus could have very, he would have been the only one to say, I actually don't need to go. <laughs> right? I wrote that book. I, I, you know, he could have, so many ways that he did not need to be there, yet he chose to be. Um, the other thing is that it says that he got up to read. Now, this was something very different in the Hebrew culture uh, that we don't have necessarily today, or at least not in the same way. So, it was very common for the synagogues to not have a rabbi that actually taught consistently there. There just wasn't enough rabbis to go around, especially in a small area like Nazareth. Um, so they would have a synagogue where the people gathered. But then anybody who had the ability to teach, whether they were a rabbi or just a teacher, when they came, they would just say, hey, by the way, if you need someone to read and teach, I'm available. Right? And it, was, it wasn't considered like a self-promotion thing. In fact, it was considered very selfish that if you had that ability and were willing and you didn't offer it, you were being selfish. And so they might even have a rabbi. But if you were a teacher and, and were visiting there, you just arrived that morning and the, the attendant at the door or the leader of the synagogue, you'd say, hey, by the way, if you need somebody to read and teach, I'm available. And more often than not, even if they had a rabbi, they'd say, great, you get to teach today. And so Jesus did exactly that. We see Paul doing that as well in the book of Acts. Going into these synagogues and just would tell people, hey, I'm available. And then they'd give him the floor to teach. So Jesus is here and, uh, and is teaching, or given the space to teach. And, and the, progr- the progress of the service was that first they'd le- read from the law, and then they'd read from the prophets, and then would come the Bible study, Right? And so Jesus is actually given the part of reading from the prophets, the book of Isaiah, which would have been a large scroll. In fact, the largest scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, is the largest one uh, of the entire canon of the Old Testament. And he finds his way to the very specific scripture. Um, and it, it is, it's the prophecy that's given in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And it's interesting, because if you look at prophets in the Old Testament... There are prophecies that are absolutely clear, and there are ones not so clear, right? Even in the day that they are written and after, we're not all that clear as far as who it's speaking of. So when King David wrote Psalm 22, he believed it was about himself. And and 
all the way until Jesus, people just went, this is about King David. It wasn't seen as a messianic prophecy until after the cross. And then they went, ha, oh, that was all about Jesus, right? Isaiah 61 was not like that. Everyone understood this is a messianic prophecy. This didn't fit Isaiah. Isaiah didn't think it was about him. No one thought it was about anyone else. They all understood it. It was a very, very well-known section of Scripture because it was the hope Israel was holding on to, that the Messiah is coming to set everything right, both physically and spiritually, that the Messiah would come on the scene and that he would redeem Israel. They didn't fully understand it meant all mankind, but they understood that Israel would be redeemed by the Messiah. That he'd bring healing, he'd bring freedom, and that he would be the one to redeem the entire nation. Um, and so in verse 18, he reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has set me, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to pro proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, not only is this an amazing description of the Messiah, it is a very, very accurate description of the state Israel was in right then, and really the state of all mankind is in, right? That we are all oppressed, we are all broken, we are all enslaved. And we all need a Savior. But what's interesting, and we'll see this with uh, Nazareth as things progress, that while they would have said, oh yeah, we know that prophecy, and we understand that's talking about the Messiah, and we understand that we need the Messiah, they weren't clear about why they needed him. See, a lot of their issues, in fact, the vast majority of issues that they would have pointed to as far as being oppressed and, and being broken and all these things, Rome was to blame. The real problem here is Rome. And so when the Messiah comes and overthrows Rome, we're going to be fine. We're going to be great. He's going to rule the world and we'll be right there with him, right? And I find it interesting that how unchanged humans are. Because while there is a lot of division in the world. I don't think you could talk to anybody who wouldn't agree there's something broken about the human race or there's something broken about people in our society. But what they point to as a cause is very different, right? And so people go, yeah, there's something, look at everything that's wrong with the United States. Look at everything wrong that's, that's wrong with mankind and the injustice and the racism and, and the discrimination and all these things. But all of those things that are usually listed are just a symptom. They're all symptoms. And Jesus didn't come to solve symptoms. The cause is sin. 
And it's so much easier to point to a symptom because you can point to people being the problem for that symptom. Well, if there wasn't for racism, that group and all the terrible things they do, and if it wasn't for injustice and all the politicians and all the things they do, they're the problem. They're the ones that need to be dealt with. But when I have to talk about my sin, I have to admit I'm wrong. And I'm the problem. And I need a savior. And I need to be changed because I can't change myself. It's very, very different, right? So while you can say some of the same things, yes, there's a problem, and yes, there's some things that need to change, it all changes when we realize we're what need to change. We are the source of sin. And this is where Jesus is going to end up taking this group. Now, he reads this prophecy, and it says, and he sat back, or he sat down. We get the idea sometimes that he went and sat down with his family again. That's not the case. Um, he's sitting down, and that was the, the posture of a, a, a rabbi. So when the rabbi sat, it was time to teach. And a lot of times, especially if they're outside, the people would stand. I don't know why. It's just what they did. So when Jesus sits down, they understand, and now he's going to teach. On this prophecy, that they all, again, know that they're, it points to the Messiah. But also keep in mind... This is where Jesus grew up. All these people know who Jesus is. This is his little church in his little town, and everyone's like, well, I remember Jesus when he was, you know, it's like that. And so he brings this powerful prophecy and sits down, and everyone's like, oh, man, what is he going to say? Every eye is fixed upon him. And then he tells them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And this scripture, this prophecy that all Israel has held on to for generations, knowing it's pointing to the Messiah, and I'm telling you, today that's fulfilled. <sighs> Crazy. Now, what's interesting is that they understood the claim that he was making. They, they got it. And they don't freak out about it. They're like, hmm, okay. Well, here's some more is kind of the idea, right? They don't necessarily accept it, and they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely, let's follow Jesus. Um, but they're not opposed to it right away. Verse 22 says, And all bore witness to him and marveled at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. So they're amazed at, at the way Jesus explains things. And we get the idea that there were other things he said along with this, but that was the main point, is he's going, this is fulfilled today. They love the way he explains everything. And it seems like everything is, is going well until it all changes with the statement, is this not Joseph's son? And that doesn't seem like a big deal. But we're going to see that the tone behind it is not the right tone. So verse, let's see, where were we? Verse 30, 23, right? Yes, 23. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal thyself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in your own country. And then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three, three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all of the land. 
But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. And so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his own way, or he went his way. Now again, so they hear the prophecy that Jesus speaks, and even him saying it's fulfilled today. They knew he was talking about himself. And they're like, okay. But we see that there's some bad attitudes underneath that there in Nazareth. Uh, And the first is simply that they knew him. It's difficult to hear truth from someone that is close to us. It's, it just is. I wish it wasn't, but it is, right? You know, that we, want, we say, oh, I want truth. I want to know what the, what the Lord has to say. And then when it comes from a certain messenger, sometimes we're like, mm, no, I don't want to hear from there. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 24 when he says, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That what's causing these people to not hear Jesus is them saying, we know you. We know your family. Your, your brothers and sisters still live here. We saw you grow up. You can't be anyone important. And so they dismiss the truth because of the messenger. I, it's so funny. I was thinking about, you know, I can think of a couple specific times with my kids growing up, the boys especially. And, and uh, you know, Michael would come to me and he's like, hey, dad, you know what? I was just thinking about this. And I, and I looked it up. And sure enough, there's this this great truth, and I finally get it. And I'm like, bud, I just taught on that exact same thing last Sunday. And he's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, I did. That same, like, you said it word for word. And he goes, oh, well, the problem is you said it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you little. But I mean, that's how we are, right? That as we hopefully grow spiritually, we're able to receive truth uh, but it's hard when it's from people that we know, people that we're close to. Um, the sad part is, is think about the great need that must have been in Nazareth, just like everywhere. That they were sick, and they were broken, and they were blind, and there were people so desperate for healing. And here Jesus is, God Almighty, in their presence, but they won't hear the message. They won't receive what he has dismiss it because they know him. Now, the other thing that I see with Nazareth, and I think there's a lot of people, we know that there's a lot of people like this today. They think they know who Jesus is, just like the people in Nazareth. But the fact is, they don't know him at all. And they'll go, oh, you know what, I went to church when I was a kid, or I knew a Christian that was mean to me once, and therefore I don't believe in Jesus. And it's like, well, okay, I don't doubt hard things happen to you, But you think you know Jesus, and the fact is you don't know him at all. Same mistake that the people in Nazareth made. They thought they knew Jesus because he grew up there, but the fact is they did not know that he was the Messiah. Even if they had said the words, they had a very different Messiah in mind. Now, the other bad attitude, and this one's almost, it's it's a little bit difficult to kind of put into words. 
Um, but where Jesus says, you will quote this proverb to me or you'll say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. The idea there is that because Jesus grew up in that town, they're going, okay, well, you're nobody great to us, but if you are great, then do something that makes us great too. Do your miracles here. What you've done in other places, what you're known for in other places, make this your base of operations so that we're important. And, and they're really just trying to tell Jesus what to do. We don't think you're anyone special, but if other people think you're special, we can use that. That's kind of the idea behind it. Um, and, and so with all of these things, of course, Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. And he sets them straight on these things, that they saw themselves as being more worthy of blessing or more worthy that, that Jesus somehow owed them something. Well, you grew up here. We put up with you and your family, and we, you know, we allowed you to be in this area, so now you owe us. Make us something great. Do something important. And Jesus makes it very clear, you're no more special than anyone else. And he points out that times in, in Israel's history, when instead of Israel receiving a blessing, it went to a Gentile. And he says, hey, there were plenty of women that needed things in Israel during the famine, back in Elijah's day. And none of them Elijah was sent to. He was sent to a Gentile widow. And there were plenty of leopards in the day of Elijah, but none of them were cleansed except for a Gentile. And what's interesting is while they've heard Jesus say basically that he's the Messiah, he is the one fulfilling the scriptures, and they're like, yeah, well, maybe if that can mean something for us, that's fine. But when he goes, you guys are just like the Gentiles, basically, that's when everything blows up. How dare you compare us to the Gentiles? How dare you say that they're more worthy than we are or that we're somehow equal to them? That's the real upset. That's what they get angry about. And so they take Jesus out to the edge of the city where there's this cliff. And again, I just love this. Because no matter how furious they were, he finally just goes, this isn't happening. And just walks right through the midst of them. And I just picture everybody like, oh, should we, gra should we grab him? What oh, well, now he's gone. Now, okay. You know, <laughs> just like dumbfounded. They don't even know what to do. And Jesus is like, I'm not doing this. I got to go. And he just is off, right? Walks right through the midst. All right. Verse 31. <clears throat> We're going to take kind of a big chunk here to finish up the chapter. It says, uh, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words were with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone, for we, what have we to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, he came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits to come out. And they come out. 
And the report of him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made requests of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. And when the sun set, when the sun was setting, all those that had any, excuse me, and all of those who had any that were sick of various diseases and brought, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out, many crying out, saying, You were the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place, And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. Tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must go and preach the kingdom of God to the other cities. Because for this purpose I was sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, Jesus goes to, uh, or he leaves Nazareth, he goes to Capernaum, and he in the same way, goes into the synagogues there, takes the place of the teacher, and it has that, this result, everybody is just amazed, that he teaches with authority. And that's very different from the rabbis and the teachers of the time. Uh, and unfortunately, there's some similarities to the way some people teach today, where they don't want to take a stand on anything. It has to be so black and white for them to say, this is right and this is wrong. It's easy to go, well, according to this person, and this is what would happen a lot in Jesus' day, is that they go, well, according to this rabbi, this is what the scripture means. But according to this other rabbi, it actually means this. And they wouldn't take a stand on it at all. They just throw it out there and move on. Jesus got up there and went, this is what the scripture means. This is what God desires. And he said it with an absolute authority that just blew everyone's mind. It says they were astonished, and it means uh, that word means that they were struck with an absolute shock at how good and how honest his teaching was. Now, um, the part about this is that every time I read it, I'm just I want to know the rest of the story. Is that in this synagogue there is a man who's demon possessed? Now, did everybody know this guy was demon possessed? And they're just like, oh yeah. Or was he just the weird dude that was like, everyone's like, we don't know what's up with him. We just don't bother him. Or did he seem like everyone else? And it wasn't until that day they realized, whoa, he's demon possessed. (laughs) We don't know. What I do find interesting, though, is that whatever the case, this demon was comfortable in the synagogue until Jesus showed up. So just being in church isn't enough. Jesus has got to be present. And when he is, it all changes, right? And so this guy, this demon, begins to confess, really, who Jesus is. And Jesus is like, I don't need your advertising. I don't want, don't say anything. Be quiet. Come out of him and bang like that. Now, again, very different because in Jesus' day, there were groups of rabbis that kind of 
sold themselves as exorcists. Like they would be the guys to come in and they had this big long process and incense and all these little hoops they would jump through to cast out demons. And according to all the records, very rarely did it do anything. Jesus just comes in and goes, out of him. And it's done. Again, showing the huge authority he has over everything. The other thing to keep in mind, and, and this is, again, further down the uh, when the other demons are coming out. We forget Jesus knew them. He knew them by name. When they were created as angels, Jesus was there. He knows every one of them individually. And they are terrified of who he is. He is their worst nightmare. He is what they are afraid of. And now he is there. And really, this is Jesus saying, your time is over. I'm here. I've come to take it all back. And the people, rightly so, are in awe of who Jesus is. Verse 36 says, And they were all amazed and spoke, spoke among themselves, saying, What word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits to come out. Now from there, Jesus goes to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law has got a high fever, which we go, ah, is that that big, you know, a big deal? She's not sick, or she is sick, she's got a fever. But in that day, a fever was huge. You know, we take some aspirin and we go to bed and, you know, some NyQuil or something like that. But interestingly enough, not only in the ancient world or back then was it such a big deal, but Galilee was famous for this fever that would hit people and kill them within a few days. And so her... The, Fever being mentioned that it's a high fever, very dangerous. And Jesus just goes in and, and speaks a word over her, and she's healed. There's something so joyous, joyful about this whole scene. You know, again, not at first. It's scary. Mom's sick, and, and they don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus is like, oh, I got this. You know, <laughs> just like rebukes the fever, and she just instantly gets up and starts serving everybody. And to me, that is like the mom kind of moment where she just pops out of bed and goes, you kids hungry? I'm going to make some food for you. And just instantly goes from her deathbed to the kitchen, right? It's like, I got it. And, and everyone's like, no, 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 sit down. She's like, no, no, I'm going to make some food. <laughs> Seems like such a mom thing. And then the crowds start coming. Now the sun, it mentions the sun has gone down. This is the, so the end of the Sabbath has taken place. And now that people can move freely after the Sabbath, they all just come pouring into Peter's house. And Jesus just takes time with each and every one of them, laying his hands on every single one. And again, he could have just waved a hand, spoke a word, and healed everybody at once. But he makes a point of connecting with each one individually. I love it. I think that shows so much about his character and his love, that he's not just, you know, given the bulk rate healing on everybody. He's like, no, I want to meet you. I want to know you. I want you to feel my hand upon your life and bring healing to each person individually. And we see him do that with the crowds, addressing the crowds and addressing people individually with that same love and compassion and tenderness. 